If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me uh, to the epistle text for today, Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter four, the first 16 verses. And I'd invite you this morning, if you're with us and able today to stand in honor of the Lord's word. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us measured out by the gift that is given by Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. What does the phrase he climbed up mean if it doesn't mean that he had first gone down into the lower regions of the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults. Underline that. To be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him and is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body itself grow, the the body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each one does their part. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're right in the middle of seven weeks as the lectionary takes us through Ephesians. Three weeks ago, we started to talk about how the first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters, is all about this is our story. The apostle wants us to know this is who we are. This is our story. This is our song. Um, And so hopefully, if you have your Bible, somewhere in chapter one, you will have circled these three words, adoption, ransom, inheritance that this is all of our stories. We have been adopted into God's family. We have been delivered from the brokenness of sin and the bondage of death. And we have an inheritance, a new creation that is coming. And then in chapter two, um, we looked at how Jesus is breaking down all the dividing walls. In particular, in verse 14 of chapter two, Christ is our peace who has broken down every dividing wall. And so Paul can't believe that this wall between Jews and Gentiles has been brought down he gets so excited and begins to believe all of these walls that has broken and fragmented and divided creation, all of those are coming down in Christ Jesus. And the church is that place where this unity is happening. And so our story is that we are God's children. We are brought out of sin and brokenness. We have this inheritance, but we are now this unique body connected to each other. And then last week we saw that Paul concludes that section with this prayer. As I said last week, it's not a lecture. He's not 
giving us four things that start with L-O-V-E to convince us of God's love. In fact, this love is so deep and mysterious, so life-transforming that he knows all he can do is pray. Pray. Pray as he does in verse 18 that you will have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth together with all believers. So as we think about those first three chapters, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, you might want to write at the beginning of Ephesians, chapter one through three, our story. And if I could summarize our story in two words, it's this, in Christ. We are a people in Christ. In fact, I didn't point it out over the last few weeks, but the apostle 13 times in chapters one through three uses that phrase, in Christ. If you have your Bible, just let me show you a few. Verse one, to the holy and faithful people in Christ. Verse three, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse four, God chose us in Christ. Verse 10, to bring all things together in Christ. Verse 11, we have also received an inheritance. Guess what? In Christ. Verse 12, to God's glory because we were the first to hope in Christ. Verse 13, you too heard the word of truth in Christ. The end of verse 13, the Holy Spirit because you believed in Christ. Just keeps going like that. It's like his word processor got stuck. My favorite actually is in chapter 2. Verse 10, where he says, instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ to do good things. And so if you want to put an umbrella over chapters one through three, over our story, here's your story. You are in Christ. So now, these next four weeks, we begin with chapter four. And as I mentioned the last few weeks, now we get into the, therefore, since this is your story, how do we live? And so today we begin with this idea that now that we are in Christ, here is how we live. If you look at verse one with me, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Let me get nerdy for just a moment. The the words that get translated in the Common English Bible and probably in whatever translation you have as to live literally are the words to walk. So a bunch of times, in fact, 27 times in Paul's writings, we get the words to walk, but usually we translate them as to live because it's a kind of Hebrew or Jewish idiom that says what it means to live is to walk, to journey in front of people so that we live in such a way that people observe that we are walking in a certain kind of way. But this morning, I want us to think about what it means then to walk in ways that glorify God. And the reason I like that metaphor, that image that to live is to walk, is because I do think what we have in this text is a kind of vision of the good life out here, if you will. This picture of the new creation, that is our story. And as I've said so many times, it's not just something we're waiting for. It's something because of the resurrection of Jesus that has already begun or entered in. But it's not yet here, and so we are, in a sense, walking towards it. And it's a beautiful image that says that we are on this journey, then, from the old creation to the new creation. Some of you joined me a few months ago when we were first getting online in this COVID period. I did a Wednesday night study on one of my favorite Eugene Peterson books, a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. 
But it's a book based on one of my favorite sections of the Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134, or what are called the Psalms of Ascent. They're the Psalms that the people of God would sing together as they journeyed up to Zion. And I think what the apostle is getting at here in chapter four is, this is your story, but now as you walk, as you live, as you are ascending the mountain to that new creation, here's how you should walk. Here's how you should journey. Here's how you should pray. Here's how you should sing. And so verses two through six deal with this. We should walk in the unity of the church as we walk and journey together. That we walk in a way that is together, is united. We we do this trip together. As I was thinking about walking this week, I I thought about two images. Um, One, Eric, if you have it, Um, One is of me and the boys. Um, So I had a funny thing happen to me this week. Friday night, uh, we went out to dinner with Todd and Cheryl. And I, um, my mom decided it was time to kind of give away some of my dad's shirts and things, which this is one of them. My wardrobe has significantly improved uh, this week. But I, I got to wear the other night to dinner, I wore one of dad's Hawaiian shirts, which he loved to wear. But it was so funny, I had this moment where we were walking in downtown Boise, headed to the restaurant, and I walked by a window, and for just half a second I thought, oh, it's my dad, because of the shirt. But I looked, but I realized, oh my word, there are these creepy moments, and some of you will understand this. There are these moments where I will say something, and I will think, oh my word, come out, foul Theron. Like, like there should be an actual, I, I realized, oh my word, that was my dad in what I just did or said, that mannerism. Some of you who are part of Seattle Aurora for years often come up to me and go, oh, that was so your dad, what he did. Mostly crying and blowing my nose in the microphone. That's so much my dad. But it was just one of those moments where I thought, oh, my word, it's my dad. And I realized, oh, no, it's, it's me. Um, but this is a few years ago. I think we're in downtown Seattle, actually. But Debbie got so tickled that here were the four of us, and we were walking exactly the same, right? Slumped over shoulders, arms hanging down on the ground like, you know, the missing link. Um, The other funny part about us is we all have uh, the Daniel's body, which means not a great one, but it means mostly a significant lack of rear ends. Uh, We're saving up for cheek implants. Uh, But there's just a lot that is just so like we're walking in sync with each other and have learned from each other generationally this kind of walk. Well, well, the apostle kind of hopes that as we journey from where we are now to the new creation, that we do that in unity, that we do that together. And the apostle imagines that the unity of the church walking together is actually imaged in seven different ones that the apostle includes in the text. You can see them there. They begin in verse four. You're one body, one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. We should probably spend a week on each of those ones, but we are one body connected to each other, the dividing walls being taken down. We're, we have one spirit. This is so important. We are not gathered here today because this is a group that would naturally gravitate to each other because of our commonalities. We're here today recognizing we're incredibly different. We'll get to that. 
But there is one spirit that unites us. Our unity is not necessarily because of any kind of cultural commonality. It is because of the unity that we have in the spirit. We have one hope. That hope is rooted in the resurrection. Death does not get the last word, but the life of Christ gets the final word. This is why I harp so often in sermons on kind of getting the end right. And I know that we can't get it perfect because the end is still out there. And the language that comes to us in the scripture is really kind of cloudy and gives us images but not exact details. But we do know this, that all things will be made new and that the hope that we have is that sin doesn't get the last word and evil doesn't get the last word and darkness doesn't get the last word and death doesn't get the last word, right? So we are a people who are rooted together. We know where this journey is going because it is a journey of hope rooted in the resurrection of Jesus living towards that new creation. And we serve one Lord. This is a political claim. Even in a non-election season, it is a claim that says we are not defined today by what party we belong to or even what nation, national flag flies over us. We are a people who find our unity in the fact that there is one Lord over all creation and we serve that Lord first and foremost. And there's one baptism. Sometimes across Christian history, that's become a problem. Or I'm sorry, we, we have one faith first in Christ. But we have one baptism. And that baptism sometimes becomes arguing about what particular mode, but it's fascinating. The apostle never gets into this question of, oh, and by the way, when I say one baptism, I mean hold people under for a while. And I'm okay with sprinkling, but not pouring. It's my sense and the sense of this particular part of the Christian tradition that has said the mode of that baptism is not very particular to the early church, but what is central is this, that we have participated in that act that has said we have put to death the old life and we have come to a new life in Christ Jesus. And we serve one God. This whole story is God's story it finds its unity in a monotheism. It finds its unity in the one God. And so that, as we walk, we walk together. But verses 7 through 11 then says, but then we are a diverse people with all sorts of gifts within the unity of that body. And so this morning I have a second picture for you. And this is a poster that hung on my wall all four years of college. Now, if you're not a Bonnie Python fan, I can't help you with this problem. But this is one of my favorite Monty Python sketches. This is John Cleese playing, uh, it's a sketch called The Minister of Silly Walks. And if you're bored this afternoon, get on YouTube and search Minister of Silly Walks and laugh for four minutes. As John Cleese walks around town, and I have the picture so I don't have to do it today, but he walks around town and it is a three or four minute study in amazing body humor as Cleese walks in all of these different kind of funny ways and gets to his office and Eric Palin comes in and says, I am here and to apply for a grant from the British Ministry of Silly Walks. And John Cleese says, show me how you walk. And he walks, but it's just not silly enough. Um, it's hysterical. I'm sorry that you're not laughing. 
was thinking about this text this week that the apostle envisions that we're walking, we're walking in unity, but unlike me and the three boys, we walk in different ways as we walk together. We're a whole big gathering of the ministry of silly walkers today who all walk to a different rhythm and in different ways. And as Paul thinks about this, he quotes Psalm 68, 18. Well, kind of. He kind of plays with Psalm 68, 18. But as he's using Psalm 68, 18, it's, it's most likely that what, he, what the apostle imagines is this, that in the same way that Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law and then came back down and gave to the people how you should now live and walk with God. He imagines that Christ came down as low as Christ could come to be with us, but then he ascended up to heaven, but then now has, in a sense, through the Spirit, come down and taken every gift necessary from the new creation from heaven and has now given that gift to the church. So the same way Moses came with the gift of Torah, now Christ has given us the gift of the Spirit in order to edify the body. And he's using Psalm 68 as a kind of word picture of that. But here's a real important point. The gifts at time turn out to be the unique abilities or talents given to the members of the church. However, in this, in this text, it appears that the gifts are not so much the abilities that we have as much as we are the gift. So if I've lost you, lean back in here. What the apostle is essentially saying, and look around, each person in this room, each person connected online, each person that is part of this thing called church, you are a gift to the church. You are gift. Now the apostle will say those gifts Silly walk differently. Some are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors or shepherds, some teachers. But all of those, no matter how silly you walk, no matter what that uniqueness of you is, here is the thing. Your uniqueness is meant to edify the body that you are a part of. And we can't get to our maturity. We can't get to the growth we're supposed to get to. We can't get to it without you and without that particular gift. Let me just say a couple of things about apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It's kind of become popular in the last few years to talk about this. There's even an acronym that's given. It's not a great acronym, but the APEST, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And that's great. But I'm not sure in Romans and Corinthians, the list is slightly different. And like all things, we are people, and, and you probably are this way too, I love the kind of personality tests or the gift tests. My strengths, by the way, are achiever, maximizer, ideation, self-assurance, boo, competition. Those are my top five. By the way, because competition's in there, I like to say, I know that we say everybody's gifts are as good as everybody else's, but come on. <laughs> come on. I I'm a three, if you know what that means. 
like all that stuff. But here's what's kind of funny sometimes about those things is because if you've noticed, my five strengths um, are, are, are the same gifts as Dr. Evil. Um, <laughs> I always joke, my gifts mean, you kind of want me in the room where it happens, drawing on a whiteboard somewhere. But sometimes I'll say, oh, my gifts aren't relational. Now, if you looked at my wife's gifts, we have one in common. We're both achievers. We got to get this done. But my wife's are super relational. And so sometimes I'll say, babe, you go talk to them, Uh, right? (laughs) Now, it's true that by nature, she kind of does that more so than me. But here's the thing, just because my strengths lie in those areas, it doesn't mean that I get to live in a closet somewhere and I don't ever have to talk to anybody, right? And in fact, there are times when, because of where God has put me, I have to lean heavier on God because there is a relational need in this moment to edify the body of Christ, and I need to lean into that even though that's not what I tend to do by nature. Are you with me? And so I want to say about this list, I don't think Paul is necessarily saying, today we're going to take a quiz and we're going to find out who are the apostles and you guys come in this corner and who are the prophets. You guys go outside. Um, Shepherds, you know, evangelists, get going. I mean, it may be that we have those natural proclivities to either kind of go into new territories or keep the prophetic compass of the church. Maybe that is the case. But I think what Paul means is whatever gift is necessary for us to get to maturity is in this place. And it is necessary that all of us lean in because the body will not become what the body ought to be, which is mature, by the way, if all of those gifts are not accessed. And it is much better, by the way, to be a small adult than a big baby. That's the best thing I said today. (laughs) And so this journey that we're on is unity, but it's also diversity of giftedness. But just a couple of last thoughts. It, It takes work. If you go back to the first couple of verses, verse two, Paul will say, conduct yourself with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to pursue the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. It's always encouraging to me that Paul does not say, oh, you will be united because the Spirit's there. Don't worry about it. No, I mean, work at it. Work at the peace. Live in love. Those first three, humility, gentleness, and patience, I know I bring this up a lot, but those are virtues, and virtues are very difficult to find. Virtues are always the mean between two extremes. And so humility is not the opposite of arrogance. The opposite of arrogance is false humility. Humility is a realization that God has gifted me with gifts that are necessary for the edification of the body, but they are not the only gifts. And they're not even the most important gifts. Humility is recognizing I have a role to play, but so do you. And it's important that we practice that humility and we practice gentleness. Gentleness is a virtue that says, we need to get somewhere, but we don't have to run over everybody to get there. Gentleness recognizes that we move, but we move in a way that allows everybody to come along. And we do that with patience. We work at that. But if I could go back to just the very first verse, 
Paul says, therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord. I know that likely means that this letter may have emerged out of bondage. But I think Paul may mean this in another way as well. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to walk or to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. At the heart of this is an understanding that each of us in this place have received a call, a vocation. If you'll give me just a second, I sometimes will get picky about using the language of call. It's because my, my dad beat this into me, not in a literal way. <laughs> that didn't sound right. When my dad would sometimes meet with church boards and they would say things like this, as we're going to say next week, y'all, we need to hire a new youth pastor. Who are we going to hire? My dad would say this, we don't, we're not going to hire anybody. We're, we're going to call somebody to come and help lead our student ministries and families. And the reason why that language is important is because I know that at times there are things that you do that are jobs and you get hired to do that job. But ministry and some other vocations are kind of unique because you're never really off the clock and in some ways you are being invited because of who you are into a community. And so calling means, and this is part of what's so painful about saying goodbye to the Vincents today, is because we didn't really hire them to do a job, we called them to be part of this community. And that doesn't mean transitions don't happen because a new community has called them to come and be part of their community. But part of the pain is you've invited, we've invited them to be part of our life. And Mike and Carly now to be part of our life. Like we've called, that's a calling, right? A vocation. But this is the important part. For Paul, that is not just on Drew or Laura or Carly or me. That is, that call is y'all's call. And the reason I like the language of prisoner, it makes me think of the Jonah story, where the Jonah story opens, and poor Jonah, the word of God comes to Jonah, and he goes, ah! And there's no sense of, Jonah took the strengths test, and these were his five, and so he could go to Nineveh. It was just, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go! And Jonah is now a prisoner to that word. And he runs! trying to get away, and he can't get away from the vocation that has captured him. He's a prisoner to it in a good way. For, well, eventually. <laughs> but what I want to say to us this morning is because this is your story, now this is now your calling to be part of this body, to walk in unity, to bring the diversity of your gifts for the edification of the body. But that is now a vocation to which then Paul prays, you will walk and live in a way that is worthy of that calling that you have been given. And if I could say why this is so important, I don't think that's really the way we think. Years ago, I, um, I interviewed my grandparents about their ministry. And I said to Papa, I would ask Papa, hey, Papa, so how long they, they he pastored in CUNA in Ontario. And it's kind of funny, his brother followed him in CUNA in Ontario. They got Daniels back to back. 
But I would say to him, Papa, so how long were you in Kuna? And he'd say, oh, about three years. How long were you in Ontario? Oh, about, about three years. So I started adding up all the places he'd been about three years. I said, Papa, if you were there three years, you were in ministry 146 years, right? <laughs> Truth was, he was in Kuna about 15 months. He was in Ontario about 18, right? Now, the reason I say that is because it was a very interesting generation in which truly they called a pastor who just showed up and I think he stayed about 18 months because that's all the material he had and he needed to move on. But it's kind of a funny era where you came to a church and in some sense you were being invited into a family reunion. They weren't sure you were a family yet, but you were kind of invited to direct their family reunion. But because that was the way pastors tended to move, the church understood, oh, we're the church. This pastor's come to edify us and help us to be the church for a time, but we need each other to edify each other. Are you with me? Now, a shift happened, and not all of that's bad. My mom and dad were at a church in Seattle for almost 20 years, and there's something that's really beautiful and powerful about that. But increasingly, over the last few decades, our understanding of ministry has changed so that largely, ministry is now a church offering you things. And we've talked about this before. It's much more a kind of consumer organization where we're offering you goods and you decide whether you want to be part of a church based on whether those goods are helping you in the rest of your life. But part of what that's done, and I'm not complaining necessarily, but part of what that's done is put tremendous pressure. So there's all this research on how pastors are burning out today. And part of the reason for that is because pastors are taking on all of those roles to try to edify everybody. And we're judged on how good we are at doing that. And so we're juggling and, you know, it's fun. Um, but I think worse than that is that we're actually being willing to live into that. And I'm much less concerned about pastors and how burned out we are as to how narcissistic we are. Because if we do it well, then we take all that weight get glory for it. But the church never grows up. And so this text calls for a conversion of our imagination. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if we can do it. We may just spend another couple of decades burning out leaders and having narcissists go up in flames. And hopefully a generation will come along that will say, that's a mess. Let's do something different. <laughs> but what the apostle wants us to hear today, and I hope I can lean into it. I hope we can lean into it. You, not just me, not just a few of the folks in this room, you have a call on your life that Ephesians invites you now to walk worthy of and to walk in unity with people because if we don't all finish, we don't win. And to recognize we walk all in very silly ways with a diversity of gifts, but you are a gift to the church. And so use that gift for the edification of the body and recognize that not all those gifts are the same, but we will not become what we are called to become without 
you without us walking together, being gifted and edifying one another with humility and gentleness and patience and love and love and love. That's why we come around a table today. Because what we need is our imagination changed to know that we are a family. We're not just here to get what we need and go. But we are here to recognize there's a call on our life as Christ's body. And we need him to help us make that manifest to the world. The ushers are gonna help me. If you didn't get elements as you came in this morning, if you would just slip your hand up, an usher will make sure that you receive the elements this morning. There is a redeemer, Jesus God's own son, precious lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One, thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. I'd invite you to prepare the elements if you would. And as you're ready, if you would put them in front of you, let me pray a prayer blessing. Oh, God, the one God in whose story we find ourselves. We hold in our hands reminders of a grace that makes us your children, that sets us free from sin, that gives us an inheritance. We are around a table that has broken down every dividing wall that now allows us to be sisters and brothers with each other. We hold in our hands reminders of the width and height and depth and expanse of love. This morning, with trembling hands, we are reminded that we have been bought with a price. And there is a call upon our life. Oh, some will be pastors and evangelists and missionaries. But each of us is called to walk in ways that glorify you and edify the body. And so I pray this morning as we take this meal for some who feel disconnected from the body, may you in your spirit help us to know how to draw them in to let them know that this body is incomplete without them. But may you also empower us with the courage and grace and patience 
perseverance, and the love necessary to use the gifts you've given us for the edification of each other. For you've called us not just to receive, but to give. So make us the body of Christ today. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Let us take and eat today in remembrance of him. And when supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it, redefined it as his blood poured out for us to preserve us blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink in remembrance of him. May it be so. Today we pray, make us the body of Christ. And Christ's body said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning?